Welcome to the official podcast of Oklahoma Next Gen Leaders. This podcast exists to empower the next generation of leaders through intentional mentorship. In this episode, we're going to be hearing from Derek Borders. Now, before we get into this episode, there's a few things that I need you to do. I want to invite you to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen and make sure to follow us on social media. This way you can stay up to date on fresh content and brand new episodes. Derek Borders is an assistant pastor in Norman, Oklahoma. He's the Oklahoma District Youth President, a graphic designer, and an incredible preacher. In this episode, Derek is going to be speaking about the power of a pen. I cannot wait to share this content with you. So let's jump in. Hello and praise the Lord, everybody. What an honor it is today to speak to you via the Next Gen Podcast. It's a privilege to be on this team of apostolic leaders. They have so many diverse talents, and each one's unique and needed as we work to equip this generation for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I dare say that none of us thought that the world would be where it is right now when 2020 launched just three short months ago. But here we are. We're navigating a crisis that none of us have ever experienced before. And now more than ever, I think it's time for us to be the church and to stand for truth. We're dreaming of new ways to minister the gospel. And the methods of conveying Jesus have changed overnight for many of our, our local assemblies. And maybe you're part of helping your pastor try to, to put it all together and, and try to help uh, figure out how to share the gospel. And, and I think you ought to stand up. And I think you ought to be proud of the fact that, that we have the resources to be able to share the gospel in perilous times. kind of leads me to the topic that I've been mulling over for, for several weeks now because I want to talk to you about the power of a pen. In 1839, English author Edward Bulwer-Linton composed the adage, The pen is mightier than the sword. You maybe heard that before. You've maybe even said it before. The words first appeared in a line that was written for uh, Edwards' play entitled The Conspiracy. He was trying to convey the idea that the, the printing press could be more effective than violence in getting people to follow governmental authority. You understand, when you, when you and I think of, of war, we get images of, of World War II guns and cannons and or maybe we go back in time and we think of gladiators with swords and shields. That's what's defined as, as hard power. Hard power is, is the use of military power that is used uh, to try to get somebody to submit to somebody else's way of thinking. It's when soldiers come in and they force their authority on a group of people at the edge of a gun or or the edge of a sword and a lot of that that's what we think of when we think of battles but a lot of modern warfare is actually considered soft power this is where ideas are disseminated to try to change the the mindset or the direction of a people group it's influence that brings people over to your values through ideas and thoughts we we find this in in books 
in movies and uh, in, in, in modern uh, technology where those kinds of things are conveyed. It's not just entertainment. They're, they're trying to convey ideas. They're trying to convey ways of thinking. We, we live in an age where we understand hashtag fake news, right? We, we understand that we don't believe everything that we read because there are, there are certain parties of people, there are certain groups of people that try to put out information just to get you to think a certain way because they know if they can get you to think a certain way, then they can shape the direction that you will go. We, we see that played out in the Garden of Eden. Dallas Willard said the serpent doesn't come at Eve with a stick. He comes at her with an idea. Get the picture. He, he doesn't come at her with hard power. He doesn't come at her with an AK-47 or a drone. He comes at her with soft power. He comes at her with deception. He starts to distort her ideas about who God is and who she is to God. Now, when we think of a snake, we, we think of venom, right? I hate snakes. I don't want to be around a snake we, because I'm afraid of their venom. I'm afraid of their bite. But, but the most venomous thing that the snake brought to Eve was the seduction of the mind. It wasn't hard power. It was soft power. Paul, I, I believe, understood how we could be taken captive by ideas that would influence our minds. That's why he wrote in Colossians 2 and 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He said you got to be careful what influences your mind. you got to be careful what, uh, what has the ability to speak into your mind and shape your mind thinking. I wonder if that's why Paul would spend so much time with ink and pen. He, he wrote over half the New Testament. He wrote 14 epistles that became part of the inspired Word of God. I mean, I'm lucky to, to, to write a letter uh, to somebody without messing up and making mistakes, but he writes uh, in such a way that it becomes a part of the inspired Word of God. His writings are considered so vital that they are one of the seven major sections of God's Word. We got the other six uh, divisions of books. That's the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms. We got the Gospels and Acts. And then there's the seven general New Testament epistles and the book of Revelation. Next to Jesus Christ, the, the Apostle Paul is arguably the most influential Christian, preacher, teacher, writer, editor, and evangelistic trainer in the first century. Paul provided a lot of value to not only the first century church, but to us some 2,000 years later, because he understood that he could spread the gospel further by writing than he could by traveling. But there were times when he couldn't reach people any other way due to imprisonment. So in the isolation of a prison cell, he would pen words to inspire, inform, and to correct. Maybe we could take an example from Paul during this time of self-isolation, this time where we, we are distant from everybody else. Maybe we could just follow Paul's example and, and we could begin to communicate in ways that weren't all that common at the time. But he picks up the pen. And he begins to write as God 
speaks to him and as God directs him. It was Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who understood the power of a pen. He writes in Jude, verse number 3, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He said, It was necessary that I pick up my pen and I begin to write unto you because you've got to contend for the faith and I had to write and tell you about it. John tells us in his vision in the concluding uh, words of the Bible, in fact, the second to last chapter of your Bible, uh, he writes about the command that he was given to write. In Revelation 21 and 5, he said, I saw one and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And then he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Come on, John. I've shown you a great revelation. I've shown you a great uh, vision of the future, and you've got to write about it, for these words are true and faithful. Now, you might be asking, what's the point of this podcast today? Uh, Am I supposed to go be an author? Am I supposed to write a book? And if that's what you get from this today, then by all means, please go write. We need apostolic authors. We need people who write about the truth. I love good books. Please send me an autographed copy when you write it. But but that's not the point of it. I'll get to the point here in just a second. I want to give you another example of writers that we find in the Bible. And this is the scripture that kind of uh, jogged what I wanted to talk to you about today as my pastor preached a few uh, weeks ago earlier this year, and he referenced this scripture in his preaching. And I've been thinking about it over and over and over again, because in the book of Judges, we are introduced to Deborah and Barak. For 20 years, the children of Israel are mightily oppressed under the hand of Sisera, with his 900 chariots of iron and his mighty army. And then Deborah calls out to Barak, saying that the Lord God has commanded that he go out against Sisera, and the Lord will deliver him. And Barak said, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. So she says, okay, I'll go with you. And Barak rises up with the other tribes, and he goes out after the adversary. And it's a crazy story in Judges uh, chapters 4 and 5, and you can read it there, and I encourage you to go do that. Judges has some of the most fascinating uh, stories in all of the Bible. That The story concludes with, with uh, Sisera being put to death by a woman by the name of Jael. She shoves a tent peg through his temples. It's riveting drama in the book of Judges. You've got to go read about it. But this victory is celebrated at length in the ancient poem by Deborah and Barak in Judges chapter number 5. They let us know in Judges 5 and 8 as they tell the story and they reaccount it to us that there was not a shield or a spear seen among them. They said, we went to war and we didn't have the utensils that we needed. We didn't have the weaponry that we needed. We didn't have all the, all, all the tools and the machinery that would help us and equip us for victory. He said, they said, but what did happen was that Deborah and Barak awoke. And they called for the tribes to follow them 
into war. And this is the verse of Scripture that, that, that caught my attention. In Judges 5 and 14, when he begins to talk about the tribes that gathered behind them to go into war, it says that out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people. And out of Mature came down governors. And out of Zebulun, they that handle the pen of the writer. Wait a minute. We're calling warriors here. We're calling soldiers to engage in a battle. Zebulun, what are you doing here? You handle the pen of the writer. There's no shields. There's no spears. But, but we do have some riders Get the picture. We have book nerds now coming into battle. We have those that are wordsmiths that are coming into battle. There's there's other translations that you might read outside of the King James that they render that instead of saying the pen of a writer, they may call it the lieutenant staff or the commander staff or the marshal's staff. There, there there's no doubt in my mind that the men of of Zebulun were skilled in leadership. They were leaders. That's what had given them the position and given them the pen and allowed them to to hold that role. Zebulon, in fact, was one of the initial responders to Barak's call for help in Judges chapter number four. And as you as you read him calling for help, you'll see that Zebulon is one of the first ones that is mentioned that they rose to the occasion to defend the children of Israel from the oppression of Sisera. Can I pause for just a moment to say that there is tremendous value in someone that is willing to step up in the time of need? There's a tremendous value when you volunteer your services for your local congregation for for to help your pastor, whatever it might be. If you see a void, just be willing to step up and fill it. It may not be a glamorous role, but if it needs to be done, and maybe you're the only one that can handle it at this time— Please step up and fulfill the role. I think that's what made Zebulun uh, be able to hold the leadership role that they had, that they had the authority to hold the pen that they could write with because they were willing to step up when the time was needed. Now, now don't think for a moment that these were, were just educated men that were afraid to fight. Because a few verses later in that poem that Deborah and Barak share, they tell us in Judges 5 and 18 that Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Zebulun didn't just show up with a pen and go hide out in a tent somewhere sitting at a desk writing things down. No, they jeoparded their lives unto the death. They fought valiantly. They went out into war, and they opposed the adversary. Now, I believe that there were a few reasons why the pen would be useful in wartime. And the first would be to keep record of the men that were at war with them. Now, like good recruiting officers, they would write down the names of the men. Somehow, Barak knew that he went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And so... Very likely, it was Zebulun that wrote down the names of those men and numbered those men. They would, they would have had to have kept a record of the men to know exactly how many that they had. The practical application for us is that it's important to keep account of who's around you. There, there's so many different influences in our world that, that I find it important what voices have access to my life. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Research shows us, and Paul Adams writes in his in his book, Grouped, how small groups of friends are the key influence on the social web. He, he wrote that despite being able to call anyone in our mobile phone address book, usually numbering hundreds of people, 80% of our phone calls are to the same four people. So think about that for a moment. Who's your four? Who are the four people that you reach out to the most? who you allow to speak to you. I I can think of just a handful of people outside of my immediate family that I would allow to say anything to me, even just peers, that I would allow to say anything to me and I would listen. But there's a whole longer list that I probably wouldn't listen as closely. I might listen to what they say and I might consider it, but I wouldn't take it as the gospel if it was somebody outside of that small group of, of friends. The wise man said in Proverbs 20 and 6, many will say that they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? It's been well said that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So I would encourage you today, take account, keep a record. Who's with you? Who's got your back? Who can you rely on? Who can you depend on? You got, you got to write it down. You got to take account of that. And know that they are available there for you because you are not an army of one. The, the second reason why I believe a pen was necessary in wartime was it was necessary to record what happened. They didn't have cameras or war correspondents to document the battle. The only way to record what happened was through the written words. So the scribe would come and they would write down and take account of what happened. They needed to write down what happened so that it could be reviewed and history could be preserved. Maybe you remember the story in the book of Exodus when Israel battled against Amalek while Moses watched and Aaron and Hur held up his arms because every time that his arms would fall down, they, uh, they would lose the battle. And so Aaron and Hur held up his arms. And Exodus 17, 13 and 14 says that Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the, of the sword. And then the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. He said, Moses, this is a great victory. This was a great battle that took place today. And I want you to write it down for a memorial. Preserve it for history. I want you to remember the victory that you've had here. And I want you to remind Joshua of it often. I am so thankful for an apostolic heritage. Let's not enter into warfare without recognizing what got us here. We can stand in victory because we have record that God has done it before. I know I'm speaking to next-gen leaders right now, and, and I want you to think about this for a moment because I don't want you to dismiss elders just because they don't think like you. Maybe they don't know how to use the technology that you know how to use, and maybe you're having to rise up at this time when we're doing live stream services and we're trying to do church differently, and they're relying on you right now, but don't dismiss them because they don't think like you do. And don't believe that they aren't holding their hands over you in prayer like Moses did over Joshua who was fighting in the midst of the battle. I'd encourage you, reach out to them often. 
discover their stories. Go and say, rehearse it in my ears. What did God do through you? What did you see with your eyes? How did the church respond in crisis in your day? What did the church do when when you were in the trenches in the midst of the battle? I'm thankful for an apostolic heritage, and I'm going to take the pen out, and I'm going to write down, and I'm going to record what has happened and in my past and what God is doing in my present. Finally, these were men of learning and ingenuity for secretaries of war. They handled the pen of the writer. They were clerks that issued out orders. They drew commissions. They mobilized their men. These are men that wrote down the order of the commanding officers so that it could be distributed amongst the ranks. They they sketched strategies and they wrote it all down so that it could be shared and disseminated amongst the men. They wrote about the future. They wrote down the plans that were given by the leadership above them. If you find yourself in a place like the children of Israel did with no shields or spears, and you feel like you have not much to offer, and you are feeling inadequate, you say, all I have is a pen. All I have is this this one seemingly insignificant thing in this very monumental moment of time. But I ask you today, will you take that pen and offer it in service to the kingdom of God? When you do, you will begin to draw up dreams of a greater future. Don't be so focused on your present that you don't prepare yourself for what God can and will do through you. Let me leave this word with you. Don't pause in the present and fail to prepare for a powerful future. Don't think that what is happening right now is all there is to life and I have nothing to contribute and I have nothing to offer. Why don't you step up and begin to prepare yourself for a greater and more powerful future? So what now? What do I do with this information? How do I move forward from here? Do I need to go buy a new set of ink pens? Sure, you can if you want, but no, that's not the point. Just live with the mentality that I will offer what I do have to the kingdom of God. The psalmist said, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And in these trying and these difficult times, when the world around us is changing, shaking, and reeling, I want to live with that mentality. Lord, let my tongue be as the pen of a ready writer. Let me always be prepared to take up what I do have. And come at the challenge that is before me to the best of my ability. It's time to take up the pen. Take note of who you're allied with. Celebrate your heritage and dream of a greater tomorrow. Thanks for letting me share a few words with you today. I hope you'll become a writer and take up the pen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. In our next episode, we're going to be hearing from Derek Border's wife, Amanda. You're not going to want to miss everything that she has to say. And like always, be sure to follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review any place that you listen. 
That way we can reach more people with this awesome content.